0: Hey there, and welcome back to another episode. We are in the second week of our little Word Study mini-series. And let me tell you, I have been like geeking out over this series, putting it together. We've also been talking a lot about Word Study over in the Stellar Teacher Reading Membership. And I feel like I've heard from so many teachers since talking about Word Study on the podcast and sharing some Word Study resources on Instagram. So many teachers are like, I'm so excited (laughs) to teach Word Study this next year. That makes me excited. So I hope you're getting excited. I feel like word study is super cool in upper elementary just because our goal is to create word watchers. And I think it's like when students start to pay attention to words and they start to understand how words are put together, both from like a spelling aspect, but also a meaning aspect. It's like so many little light bulb moments. They're just like, oh my gosh, I like noticed this root or oh my goodness, look at the syllables in this word. And all of a sudden it's like students who have sort of just been like passively reading and writing and, you know, they understand what they read. They start to just tune in a little bit more and are so much more intentional about understanding words. And I've been thinking a lot about this idea of like intentional and helping our students understand how to be intentional readers. I feel like oftentimes when we are describing students or introducing a lesson, we'll say things like good readers or strong readers but it's like, no, we want our students to be intentional readers. I think a couple things. One, I love that word intention because regardless of a student's ability, they can be intentional. I think when we use things like descriptors like good or strong, if a student doesn't see themselves as a reader, they're like, well, I'm not a good reader. I'm not a strong reader. But if we tell students you can be an intentional reader, anybody can be intentional. And when we teach our students word study concepts, it just heightens their awareness of what it means to be an intentional reader. So. I think it's cool. (laughs) It also makes me so much more of like a word watcher in my own reading. But anyways, all that to say, I hope you're getting excited about word study this next year. I would love to know. So reach out to me on Instagram and let me know just if you're excited, if you have some new things in mind. And of course, we have this episode today, which I am going to share four things that every upper elementary teacher should teach during their word study block. So. If you're not quite excited yet, I realize that I record these episodes before they go live. So if you're not excited yet, hopefully after this episode, you'll be excited. And then we've got one more episode in our series next week. So I could ramble on about word study stuff all day long, but let's go ahead and jump in to today's actual episode. Like I said, we're going to talk about four word study concepts that every elementary teacher should teach. I feel like I've been hearing a lot of teachers say, Okay, I understand the importance of word study. I know we need to focus on, you know, word recognition and understanding, but what what should I actually teach? Should I be teaching vocabulary? Should I be teaching spelling? Should I be teaching pronunciation? And the answer is yes to all of those things, but I want to sort of break down four concepts that I think are really important in upper elementary. And, you know, when we're teaching word study in general, it's this idea of we want to be systematic in our instruction, so we want to move from simple concepts to more complex Concepts, and we want our instruction to build upon what we've previously taught or what students have previously taught. So, I am going to share the four concepts, and this is also kind of the order in which you could teach things. It gets a little muddy, I think, tricky in upper elementary because as you teach things, you're constantly building and spiraling. So, for example, you might be teaching prefixes throughout the year, and this is going to be one of the things we're going to talk about. And you can't necessarily teach all of the prefixes to your students because that would take like an entire year. So you might introduce some of the most common prefixes and give them that foundation, and then you might move on to teach suffixes and then roots. But then at some point in the year, you might come back and spiral and, you know, teach some more complex prefixes or, you know, come back and review some of them. So know that it's not always like I'm going to teach everything in this category and then move on and teach everything in the next category. A lot of times it is sort of cyclical and we're constantly reviewing All that to say, when you're teaching, just know that it's not always a checklist, and it's more of like a continuum, and there's lots of spiral and lots of review. So the very first word study concept that you should be teaching in upper elementary is syllabication. Syllabication is, first of all, the definition of it is the act, the process, or method of forming or dividing words into syllables. And I will be honest, when I taught upper elementary, I did not teach syllabication as explicitly as I should have. We talked about syllables and how words are divided into syllables. And if we came to a big word, maybe be like, clap out the syllables. But that does nothing for a student that doesn't actually understand syllables. So why do we want to teach syllabication to our students? A couple reasons. You know, I've mentioned this previously, but starting in third grade, our students really start to encounter more complex texts, which means there are more multisyllabic words in the texts that they read. Oftentimes, students, especially if they don't see themselves as a strong or capable reader, they might see a big word. And if they don't know what that word is, or if they don't feel like they have the tools to break it apart, they're going to just look at the word and immediately get overwhelmed by the sheer length of the word. And if they don't know it, it's like, great, this is a big word. I don't know it. I'm not even going to try. I mean, how many times have you seen a student and they start maybe at the beginning and then they're just like, I don't know, I give up. At least I saw that a lot in my fourth grade classroom. You know, students who struggled with reading, if they saw a big word, they would be like, I don't even know how to break that thing apart. So when we explicitly teach syllabication, we are giving students the tools that they can use to break down and read those big words. You know, They're going to understand that words can be separated into parts, into specific syllables. They're going to understand that syllables have a vowel, so they can start to look for the vowels in the word. They're going to understand that vowels within the word can often make different sounds, and so they're going to have a tool to figure out if they see a vowel. They can try the short sound, the long sound, schwa. They're going to look for letter combinations that are consistent with the types of syllables. So rather than just seeing this word and being like, I don't know, they're going to actually have tools that they can apply to figure it out. And I think So often, we tell students, if you see a big word, sound it out. Or if you see a big word, break it down into chunks. But when they see words, if they don't actually know what sounds the vowels can make or what sounds the letter combinations should make or what chunks to look for within the word, these prompts aren't actually helping our students. But when you actually teach syllabication... These prompts then are going to make sense to students because they're like, yeah, I understand syllables. I know what sounds the vowels can make. I know what patterns to look for. And so teaching syllabication is really going to give students confidence to read big words, but also spell big words because it helps with spelling as well. That is why you should teach syllabication to your students in upper elementary. Now, specifically, what are some lessons that you should teach? You want to teach your students what a syllable is. You want to teach your students the sounds in a syllable. Every syllable has a vowel and the vowel can either make a short vowel sound, a long vowel sound, or we've got that really special tricky sound that I feel like nobody really understands. (laughs) It's hard to communicate to, but we still need to do the best we can. And that's the schwa sound. And we also want to then teach our students syllable division rules. So if we see a big word, how can we go about breaking it apart? And then the different types of syllables. And maybe you're thinking, okay, I understand why we should teach syllabication to our students, but this is not something that I personally am familiar with. That was exactly me because it's like, okay, I understand, you know, as I've been reading about word study, I'm like, I get it. This is important. And I feel like syllabication is an element that is missing in most upper elementary word study blocks. But if you haven't spent the time to study it and research it, if you don't feel like you know it yourself, how can you teach it? Well, I put together a resource for you, and we've shared about this on Instagram before. So maybe you've seen it or have it. If not, you definitely want to check it out. But I created a resource that is going to make teaching syllabication easy for you because it has the scripted lesson plans. It has anchor charts. It has student practice pages. And I know and I you know firmly believe that syllabication is super important in upper elementary. And I wanted to make it really easy for teachers who don't necessarily have the time to research it and study it and learn it on their own. And so this resource literally does it all for you. If you're like, I want to teach syllabication, but I don't know how, go to stellarteacher.com slash syllables to check out this resource because it literally is like a print and teach resource and will help you confidently teach syllables to your students, which, as you heard me say, it's really important. So syllabication is one thing you should be teaching to your students. Okay, the next concept you want to make sure that you are teaching in upper elementary are affixes. And an affix is a set of letters that are generally added either before or after a base word or a root word that is going to modify its meaning. And a prefix is the term that we use to describe the set of letters that we add before a base or root word. And a suffix is the term we use to describe the set of letters we add after a base or root And why do we want to teach these to our students? For a couple of reasons. Now, during our word study instruction, we are focusing on teaching students concepts that are going to help students both with word recognition and word understanding. So we want them to be able to actually read the words automatically, and we want them to be able to understand them automatically. And affixes are one of those concepts that can help with both word recognition and word understanding. Now, unlike syllables, which don't have any specific meaning attached to them, affixes do. So when students see the word unbelievable, the prefix un at the beginning of the word can help students both with recognition, but also with the meaning. So if students are familiar with prefixes and suffixes, it's like, okay, when I see un, I know how to pronounce that un, but I also know that un, this combination of letters means not or opposite of. So if I see this at the start of a word, I know it's going to change the meaning. So unbelievable is going to mean not believable. But in addition, so obviously it helps students with recognition and meaning, understanding, you know, the meaning of words and how to read them, but also explicit instruction in affixes, specifically suffixes, can also help students understand language structure and understand the role that words play in a sentence and just the relationship that words play and let me explain what this is. So, when we are teaching affixes in depth, we want to teach students the difference between inflectional endings and derivational endings. And inflectional endings are the suffixes that don't change the part of speech, you know, S, ING, ED. And most of the time, these are like the very first suffixes that students are introduced to. More than likely, they have been introduced to them in first or second grade. So your students probably know these, you might want to do a review or kind of introduce or explain to them that these are inflectional endings. And an inflectional ending is a suffix that does not change the part of speech. So for example, run is a verb. And if you add the suffix ing, you get running, which is still a verb. The part of speech and the role within the sentence has not changed. Now, another example, student, the word is a noun. If you add the suffix s to it, it's going to make it plural. You'd get students, which is still a noun. Now, derivational endings on the other hand are suffixes that can change the part of speech. So, if you have encourage, which is a verb, if you add the suffix ment to it, you're going to get encouragement, which is a noun. So, obviously encourage and encouragement are going to be, you know, similar because they have the same base, but adding the suffix is going to change how you use that word within the sentence. And if students understand, for example, M-E-N-T, when added to the end of the word, is always going to make that word a noun, that's going to help students understand the role that specific word can play in a sentence. Another example, love, can be a noun or a verb. Let's pretend it's a verb. You know, if you say, I love picture books or whatever. It's a verb. But if you add the suffix A-B-L-E to it, able, you would get lovable, which now becomes an adjective. So students can start to understand that certain suffixes always dictate the part of speech. And this can help students understand how words are used within a sentence. That can help students when it comes time to using context clues. But even in their writing, I feel like oftentimes students struggle to use words correctly And part of it is, is they might just not know, you know, it's like encourage, encouragement. They're both related. They both have that same base. So students might understand the meaning of it. But if we can just explicitly tell them when you add M-E-N-T, it makes the word a noun, they're going to have a better understanding of how to use that word in their reading and writing. So making sure that students understand the different types of suffixes as well. In addition to not just obviously having students understand that, you know, Prefixes and suffixes change the meaning of words, but also certain suffixes can dictate the part of speech that the word is. So those are some reasons why teaching prefixes and suffixes are important. Now, when we're talking explicitly what types of lessons should we be teaching, obviously prefixes, suffixes, and with suffixes, you want to separate inflectional endings versus derivational endings. And in both instances, you know, you want to teach the most common and most frequent affixes that the students will see first. I typically like to start teaching prefixes and then move on to suffixes and then start with like the most common prefixes first. And then it's like we aren't going to teach them all of the prefixes and suffixes that, that exist, but we can teach them the five most common, the 10 most common. So that way they really have an understanding of it. So we definitely want to teach affixes to our students. Okay, the third thing that you want to be teaching during word study are Greek and Latin roots. And I really love a definition that Louisa Motz uses in her speech-to-print book to define what roots are. And roots are a morpheme, usually of Latin origin, that cannot stand alone, but is used to form a family of words with related meaning. And in case you're not familiar with the term morpheme, a morpheme is simply the smallest unit of meaningful language. But I love this definition because, you know, it reminds students that, first of all, roots are not words on their own, but they are a word part that they have meaning and that roots are used to form a family of words with related meaning. Because if students can understand one root, then they have access to understanding an entire family of words that have a related meaning. So a couple other things to understand about roots. Roots can be of, or I should say they are usually of Latin or Greek origin. They are not words on their own. But when they are combined with other word parts, like prefixes and suffixes, they can form words. And our understanding of specific roots and their meaning can help us figure out the meaning of words that have roots. So roots are really going to be all about helping students understand the meaning of words. Now, why do we want to teach roots? Uh, For a very good reason. First of all, about 60% of the words in English are going to be of Greek or Latin origin. That is the majority of words. So this means that if we can teach our students, you know, Greek and Latin roots, and if they can have an understanding of roots, they are now going to have tools that are going to help them understand the meaning behind the majority of the words that they encounter. I feel like that is reason enough to explicitly teach roots. I also think that like this is maybe one of the best skills or one of the skills that really helps students turn into word watchers when they start to understand that they're are these letter combinations that have meaning but are not specific words on their own. They start to look for them everywhere. And I have a resource that I absolutely love. Other teachers use it all the time, and I've just gotten great feedback on it, but is a root word of the week where basically every week students are learning a different root and seeing it in context. But I've heard from so many teachers that once they introduce students to roots, you know, students start to understand what a root is and where to see them, they see them everywhere. And it's like in science class, in math class, in reading, they just, they start to notice it simply because we taught them the roots. And so I just feel like roots are such a huge component of word study in upper elementary, especially because it helps then students really have the tools to be able to understand a ton of words that they see in context. When you are explicitly teaching roots, there's a couple things that you want to make sure that your students understand. First of all, you want to make sure that they understand a root is not a word on its own, but a root is a unit of meaning. It is a morpheme. And I think it can be helpful to teach a lesson on the idea of free versus bound morphemes. It's kind of like base word versus root word. I explained that. I think last year I did an episode on vocabulary and sort of broke this down. But, you know, a morpheme, like I mentioned, is the smallest unit of meaning, and a free morpheme is a word that can stand on its own. So I I like to refer to it as a base word. Happy is a free morpheme. You do not need to combine happy with any other word parts in order for it to create a complete word. Now, you can add prefixes and suffixes to it, but it is not necessary. Happy is a word on its own. It is complete. It is a free morpheme. Now, A bound morpheme is not a word, but it still is a unit of meaning. So the root A-U-D, odd, means to hear or listen. That root is not a word. Odd by itself is not a word, but it has meaning. So when we see A-U-D in words, we know that the word is going to be connected to something that has to do with to hear or to listen, In order for it to become a complete word, it has to be combined with other word parts, prefixes or suffixes, in order to complete a complete word. But words like audible, auditory, audition, all of those words have the root odd, and all of those have a meaning that is connected to the definition of odd. So if our students understand odd, they then can understand this entire family of words that have related meaning. And we are then giving them just a ton of tools to understand words they encounter in their text. I think other things that you want to definitely teach, obviously, are you want to explicitly introduce and teach roots, Latin roots and Greek roots. Latin roots are going to be more common than Greek roots. And so you'd want to obviously go through the list of most common Latin roots and most common Greek roots then. But here's the thing I think to keep in mind is we cannot explicitly introduce and teach every single root to our students because we just don't have we just don't have time. And so you want to teach the most common, the ones that students are going to see most frequently in their texts. And just make sure that they understand that, you know, if students understand the idea of a free morpheme versus a bound morpheme, they're going to start to pick up and identify roots on their own that maybe you haven't explicitly taught. And again, I mentioned this in last week's episode that if we are trying to create an environment where our students are word watchers, Ultimately, we really want them to be able to find roots and, you know, be like, hey, wait a minute, I see this word part. We haven't learned it yet, but I keep on seeing it, you know, in similar words or whatever. I wonder what it means. And so encouraging students to kind of be their own teacher of words. And if they see a word part that they don't mean, they probably understand it's a root and they can go figure it out on their own. So you're not going to be able to teach all of the roots. So you really want to teach the most common. The fourth thing that you want to be teaching to your students Is context clues. Now, context clues are not necessarily something that are going to help with word recognition. And they're not, it's not like we're teaching them specific, you know, word parts that are going to even help with the meaning. But context clues, I think, are really important. And I'm obviously going to explain why. But first of all, let me explain what are context clues. And context clues are defined as hints or clues that are found within a sentence, a paragraph, or an entire text that the reader can use to understand the meaning of a new or unfamiliar word. And I love this definition, first of all, because it's not just the clues within a sentence. You know, so often I feel like when we're telling students to use context clues, we say, go back and reread the sentence. Look for clues right before the word and after the word. But the reality of it is that sometimes those clues or hints could be in another paragraph or on another page. They might have existed before students encountered this new or unfamiliar word. So reminding students that these hints are found within an entire text. Now, why do we want to teach context clues and why do we want to teach them during our word study block? Like I have mentioned before, the reality is that we cannot explicitly teach our students every single word or every single word part, you know, every single affix, every single root, every single word study concept. We just don't have enough time to do it because we don't want to make sure that our entire literacy block is word study. There are other literacy elements that we need to be teaching. Word study is one part of it, but it is not the only part. And so just simply knowing that we cannot pre-teach everything to our students means that they still have to have a bank or a toolbox filled with tools that are going to help them understand the meaning of new and unfamiliar words that they encounter if they don't instantly recognize it. Because while roots, you know, account for or can be found in 60% of the words, that's not every single word. So no matter how effective your word study instruction is, students are still going to encounter words that are unfamiliar to them. But they're going to have a ton of tools that can help them prefixes and, you know, suffixes and roots, you know, syllabication rules to help them break it apart. But context clues are another tool that can help students understand the meaning of unfamiliar words. And I feel like context clues are kind of the bridge to put everything into practice. Once students have learned prefixes and suffixes and roots, we obviously want them to apply those to what they're actually reading. And so when they see a word that is new or unfamiliar, They can go through and they can say, okay, I can identify a root or I can identify a prefix, but I still don't quite understand the meaning of this word. Well, they can use the context around the word to figure it out. So context clues is just another strategy that are going to help students understand words that they are not familiar with. I think also it helps students really pay attention to and understand the language structure. So paying attention to how a sentence is constructed and the role that specific words play it also gives students an opportunity to promote inferential thinking because ultimately if they're using context clues, they're having to you know, use some aspect of inferential thinking to figure out the meaning of this unknown word. So those are some reasons why we want to teach it. So now if you're thinking about what should I explicitly teach during my lessons on context clues, first of all, make sure students understand that definition, that it's hints in the words, the sentences, the paragraphs, the entire text. But you also want to explicitly teach students the five types of context clues I like to use the acronym ideas. So the different types of context clues are an inference, a definition, an example, an antonym, and a synonym. And those are kind of just some sentence structures that students might see that they can help use to figure out the meaning of the word. And I will not go into those in depth, but if this idea of teaching the different types of context clues is new to you, go back and listen to episode 41 I did it about a year ago at this time, and it is an entire episode specifically explaining the different types of context clues. So definitely go back and listen to it. But you want to teach your students, obviously, the five types of context clues. But then while you're teaching your students about context clues, you also want to use that as an opportunity to teach about the parts of speech and the different role that words play within a sentence. And I think a lot of times, you know, we tell students use context clues and come up with a substitution, you know, a synonym for what that word could be. And I don't know if you have ever seen this, but students would come up with a substitution for the unknown or unfamiliar word, but it would be a different part of speech. So they might try to substitute an adjective for a word that should be a noun or an adverb for a word that should be a verb. And if they are not providing a substitution or, you know, if they're not thinking of a synonym that is within the same part of speech— They really aren't understanding the meaning of that word in the sentence or even how the sentence is put together. And so when you're teaching context clues, it's also a great opportunity to talk about parts of speech and then just sentence structure in general. And I've got a couple of podcast episodes coming up later in the fall that we're going to kind of really dig into syntax and sentence structure. But just keep in mind that when you're teaching context clues, it's a great time to talk about the parts of speech as well. So make sure you're teaching context clues during word study lessons as well. And I think this sort of quote is a good summary of why syllabication, affixes, or roots, and context clues are so essential in upper elementary. This is a quote that came from Wiley Blevins' book. It says, without recognizing the value of syllabic and morphological patterns, the student is restricted from using clues available to identify long and unfamiliar words. So we can't just teach context clues because if we haven't taught syllabication and affixes and roots then our students aren't going to really know what clues to use. But we can't just teach syllabication and prefixes and roots because ultimately we want our students to be able to transfer those skills and put those into practice. And teaching context clues and giving students the opportunity to apply it is kind of where that magic happens. So just to recap, during your word study lessons in upper elementary, you should be teaching syllabication, you should be teaching affixes, you should be teaching roots, and you should be teaching context clues and you should teach and practice and apply and teach and practice and apply and continue to teach and practice and apply until your students have just become natural word watchers and these concepts are a natural part of your everyday conversation about the things that you are reading and writing so i hope that you found this episode helpful don't forget that if you want help teaching your lessons on syllabication be sure to check out my types of syllable resource you can find that at stellarteacher.com/syllables and if you are looking for even more help teaching word study or really any reading concept, be sure to check out our Stellar Teacher Reading Membership. You can go to stellarteacher.com membership. And in this membership, you get access to a huge resource library that has word study lessons, but also lessons to teach every other part of just reading in general. The resources are just part of it. You also get access to professional development and training and an amazing community. And so if you have questions about how do I teach syllables? Or I'm looking for activities to help with derivational suffixes. You can ask a you know wonderful community of teachers who are doing the exact same thing and trying to continue to grow in their teacher knowledge and teacher practice as well. So it is just a wonderful community. We would love to have you join us. If you've been thinking about it, definitely check it out. Stellarteacher.com membership. And then be sure to tune in next week. It is going to be our final episode in our Word Study series, and I am going to be sharing some do's and don'ts of Word Study. I will see you back here next Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review this helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at the Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at StellarTeacher.com. I'll see you back here next week.